Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right, let me just uh, say the obvious. I feel that, like this is ridiculous to even come up and preach a sermon because you just heard six amazing sermons, which is kind of funny because I feel like I, I'm asking some of the, the women because we want like women are powerful. You know, the female perspective, you know, we kind of need that in, in the community to balance things. And so, but sometimes I ask them to, you know, hey, would you do a sermon? Oh, no. I mean, I, I could, I don't know. That's too much. I, we just heard six sermons from women. So um, here's a seventh sermon. You guys have the, the bandwidth for it? You ready for an, another message? You're going to be so full that uh, we don't even need to go to church for a month. Um, but I do have a message, and I'm going to try to rip through it fast because we usually end at 11.30, so I may be able to do it in 20 minutes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try by speaking fast. So uh, Most of this is from uh, the last couple mission letters that I've sent out. Some of you get those and read those, and some of you don't, but it doesn't matter. But I felt like uh, what I wrote was important enough that I wanted to just kind of amplify it and expand it. Uh, for this morning. So it's really just looking at one particular verse. Uh, I've been doing a series on Proverbs. So this one proverb, famous proverb, Proverbs 24, 11, says this, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. I think some versions say, rescue the perishing save those who are staggering toward death. Every Christian should be a rescue worker. And I'm not sure, you know, that's exactly what comes to mind when people think about Christians, right? You know, even good Christians, if someone were to describe a devoted Christian, they might say he or she believes in God, loves the Bible, attends church, is kind and generous, uh, does not participate in many sinful things society freely indulges in. But this little verse in Proverbs, along with many other passages in the Bible, call us to rescue people. Think about that for a moment. But when we look around, you know, and, and, and you know, we see people in our city or whatever, um, it doesn't seem like anybody's Drowning, right? People seem like they're fine. They're kind of happy even with their lives. No one we walk by on the way to work is like sinking in quicksand or stuck underneath the rubble of a collapsed building. Um, if we did see somebody in a severe situation like that, we probably wouldn't dive into the situation, but we'd call somebody who has expertise, you know, some rescue trained rescue worker to you know to deal with it uh so so what is god exactly calling us to do is the question when he says rescue the perishing well it is an essential work of followers of jesus as the women i thought brought out so powerfully and beautifully this morning this is just what it means to be a christian you know, it's like we can't say, oh, I want to be a Christian. I want to, I want to go to heaven forever. I want to follow Jesus. But <laughs> kind of like I think Cindy was saying, but, you know, just don't ask me to 
rescue the parents. I'm not doing that. You know, I don't want to be one of those Christians. Um, and we've probably all had that thought at one time or another. But here's what happens. As Christians, we slowly begin to see things from God's perspective, right? We see that some people in the world are on solid ground in Christ, and we're happy about that. But others are, we're talking about people we, we really know, we, we love, family members, friends. Others are walking along on thin ice and maybe they don't realize they could drop into eternity and be lost forever. Uh, so that, over time, I think, starts to affect our hearts, doesn't it? Um, it, it bothers us. We, we, we worry about people. We get concerned for people. We start to pray more for people. We ask God to open doors that we could, uh, you know, just share with them the, the good news that Christ died for them and they can have a place in the kingdom of God forever. Uh, so in this verse, the word, the word staggering or stumbling, I think, brings to mind drunkenness, right? And I, I think that's what the writer was, was kind of getting at. I picture someone intoxicated just walking toward the edge of a cliff. It could, of course, be literal, but I, I, I think, I'm pretty sure it's a metaphor. You know, people are staggering along toward death, intoxicated by poverty, pain, loneliness, addiction, bitterness, confusion, uncertainty, or any number of other things. Um, Most people really don't realize the condition that they're in. I know I didn't when I was, you know, 19, 20 years old. I was out of control uh, well, often literally drunk, but just drunk with my own just whatever lifestyle and really no clue at all uh, the trajectory that I was on, the danger that I was in. Like if I was hit by a Mack truck or something like that, you know, I don't know. I don't think I would be heading into eternal glory and into the city of God to love Jesus for eternity. Um, I had no interest in that in that at the time. And so I think a lot of people are just they're kind of oblivious. They're unaware of what's happening. Well, the call of the Christian is to rescue the staggering sinner, to wake them, to sober them, to pull them to safety into the arms of the Savior. You know, to get them away from the edge of the cliff into safe in solid ground. Now let's get a little bit more. That's kind of a general thing, but let's, let's go a little deeper into this. If you've been a Christian uh, for any length of time, you've probably realized that there's a tension amongst Christians, right, over the call to save people spiritually, right? You know, to save them from their sin and to, you know, bring them into relationship with Christ, or to save them practically. Some Christians place the emphasis of the call on preaching the gospel to people because after all, it is the gospel that saves a person. If we fed and clothed the person and gave them the whole world, but then the person was never spiritually saved, it would be in vain. 
they say. That's kind of how, I mean, there's some truth to, the, to that, of course. But that's kind of the, where they stand. But then other Christians emphasize practical works like feeding the hungry, providing clean water, helping refugees, caring for the sick and dying, visiting people in prison, and so on. And I just want to say, and I hope you guys agree with me, that I think the dichotomy is unfortunate, as Scripture really calls us to both, right? A holistic reaching out to the world. I think most Christians acknowledge that both are important, but oftentimes the way they live swings one way or the other. I've noticed through the years that it's easy for, for Christians, for us, I should put myself in this, to, you know, to help people in practical ways as long as it eventually leads to them converting to Christianity. Come on, right? Sometimes, like, you know, this is kind of why we're doing it. This is the agenda, the hidden agenda in our nice works for people. And it's, it's, this isn't good. You know, we help an individual or a church helps a group of people in the hopes that they will see the light and become Christians. And if they don't receive Christ, then, well, <laughs> you know, we, we stop helping them and we move on to other people. The message we inadvertently send is that we are helping them only to convert them. And if they won't convert, then, well, I don't know. We're not helping anymore. Some even go so far as to only help Christians. I just want to caution us to not make our good works, kind deeds, even our interest in people conditional in this way. Um, yes, we're called to invite people to know Jesus, but we should actively help people around us who are suicidal, sick, addicted, poor, distraught, abused, homeless, whatever. Uh, there are orphans and widows with practical needs. We have elderly neighbors uh, who need help with practical things. There are refugees in every city who need support. Uh, we should pour ourselves out for people, not to convert them, or even to buy an opportunity to preach to them. Now, yes, that may happen, and there is, it, it's a principle of relationship. You know, if you kind of do good things, nice things for people, um, you build trust, they begin to open up, you're able to share the gospel, that happens. But we should just do good things in the world because we are reflections of God. Just take that in for a moment, right? Because that's what God is about. That's who God is. God is kind. God does good to all people. Here's one verse from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Jesus said, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, God, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. In this, verse, in this verse, the reason for serving people who aren't receptive to the gospel and, and may even persecute us is, quote, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, unquote. 
That's powerful, right? Just doing kind things, good things for people in the world, helping people who are broken or hurting. Um, This is just part of being like God, being a reflection of God. And of course, we share Christ out of that. um, But if they reject it or they're not ready for it, we, we don't abandon them. I'll give you a perfect example. makes me think of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, One of the main things her ministry aimed at was to care for people who were dying, right? She took in many people who were so ill, there was probably no chance of recovery. Um, She and those in her ministry sat with the dying. They talked with them, fed them, changed them, prayed for them, put blankets on the dying when they were cold, placed a cold cloth on them when they had a fever, Um, I'm sure they shared Jesus. But the fact is that many who they cared for were Hindu, uh, Muslim, atheist, did not convert to Christianity. But Mother Teresa didn't feel that it was a waste of time. She did not abandon them. But she gave herself to them to the end. This ministry to the dying expanded into thousands of nuns in 133 countries around the world. And Protestants, of course, may not agree with Teresa's theology, but she has left an example for all of us regarding what the works of Jesus should look like. We're called to spend ourselves for people in need. Some will receive the message of Jesus and some will not. That's up to the Lord, you know? Just let the Lord deal with that, and people can make their own decisions as well. It seems fitting to just mention one of the great hymns written by the blind hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. Uh, It's called Rescue the Perishing, right, from this verse. It was written in 1869. And there's some conflicting stories about the origin of the song, but it seems that it was inspired by her time at the Bowery Mission, the rescue mission in New York City, She was pleading with the folks who were present that if any had strayed from the house and the teachings of their mother to return. And one man came forward that she ministered to, and it seems like he didn't feel worthy uh, to go back to his mother and go back to the faith. But Fanny preached the gospel of grace to him, and he was rescued. Here's, I'll just give you a little bit of the song. It says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Second verse, though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently, He will forgive if they only will believe. And the chorus is rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Now, it's clear from Scripture that we are called to help people in practical ways. Matthew 25, for example, Jesus talked about clothing the naked, housing the stranger, visiting the prisoner, uh, feeding the hungry, caring for the sick, and so on. This is part of what it means to be a Christian, but I want to say, even as these women uh, expressed, especially uh, Kelly at the end there, uh, this is just part of what it means to be a Christian, being nice 
being good. We have to kind of speak out too. We're also called to proclaim the truth, it says in Scripture. Not just preachers, by the way. Yeah, that's you know, my job, I preach, you know, proclaim the truth. Uh, but re- really, I'm usually proclaiming the truth, unless it's a memorial service or a wedding or whatever. And I know we always have people who maybe are still in process of figuring things out. But really, I'm a proclaimer of truth to mainly Christians, right? It's like, well, who's going to proclaim the truth to the world? Uh, that's you guys, you know, who, work, who have coworkers and family members. I mean, I do that too. But you guys are out there, college students who are just, you know, surrounded by people who don't know the Lord yet. Um, we're all called to be proclaimers of the truth. Caring for practical needs may cost uh, precious time and money, but proclaiming the truth, at least in this culture, will cost us much more. And certainly around the world, um, it's very costly. People are losing their lives daily for proclaiming the truth. The many verses when Jesus calls his disciples to carry the cross have to do with the way the world will crucify us, metaphorically or literally, as there have been many uh, crucifixions uh, throughout the ages because of men and women proclaiming the truth. Paul put it this way, the Apostle Paul Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Tens of thousands of Christians throughout history have been martyred not because they cared for the poor but because they challenged ideas. In order to reconcile people to God, we must do more than good works. We also must proclaim the truth about Christ. Now, we live in strange times. A few of the ladies brought this out. You know, there seems to be an unspoken rule that we cannot, should not speak about religion, right? Especially if it upsets people. Uh, the societal code, and this is, seems to be ever increasing, seems to be that it's okay to have an opinion, but we should never try to kind of persuade other people of our opinion, especially about religion. You know, that's a private thing. Keep it to yourself. Christians have been silenced in many arenas, uh, strictly forbidden for Christians to proclaim the gospel. There's many school teachers in this church, you know, proclaim the gospel in settings like schools or even many workplaces or other public Spaces. I mean, technically, we can preach on the streets, as Catherine was sharing the story. We can do that, um, but it's you know often met by disregard or strong resistance. If the preaching was potent enough, maybe like Jeremiah or Isaiah, it could even result in violence. I'm talking about America. I mean, certainly it would result in violence in other countries. So let's stand back for a moment and consider the situation, okay, that we're in here. We're in America, we're just even in this world, but masses of people in society um, have bought into lies. The lies are that the Bible is 
outdated, that Christianity is irrelevant, even maybe toxic, that all religions are basically the same. Uh, You know, they're all fine. Pick one. That no one really knows who God is. That good people go to some kind of afterlife that is heaven or paradise or whatever. That there is no hell. That people should be free to practice whatever kind of lifestyle they want to, as long as they're not hurting anybody. If it's what they want to do, they feel good about it, they feel right, then they, they should just do that and everyone else should just applaud them and celebrate that. No one should assert their worldview is true. I could keep going, right? But you know exactly what I'm talking about because these are the ideas reinforced continually in social media, in schools, in publications, in political speeches, in Grammy and Oscar speeches, in pop novels and best-selling nonfiction books and advertising and TV shows and movies and many other ways. These ideas have been pushed into us since childhood by parents, peers, professors, politicians, and even pastors. We are swimming in these ideas that the Bible clearly teaches are false. Either the culture is right or the Bible is right because there's definitely a huge, uh, what's the right word, uh, difference between how the Bible is saying that the world is and God's perspective that comes through the word of God and what people are telling us. So it's kind of like, where, where are we going to rest our faith? Are we going to rest on the opinions of people or on God's word? But it seems almost impossible that people would break free from these false ideas, right, that they are steeped in. It would go against almost everything they've been taught from birth. History, however, and I'm just going to use some kind of natural examples, I guess, just to make the point, but history shows us how people actually dramatically change their way of thinking. Massive segments of society at different points in history have experienced a widespread reversal of thinking, right? Examples of this would be how people uh, think about women, or people of color, or even uh, in the when I was born in early seventies, um, just how people thought about the Vietnam War. So you know the question is how do idea movements begin that overturn false ideas? How does this work? Because I think it it works in the kingdom of God in a very similar way. It usually starts with a quiet, seething discontent with the way things are, right? People start talking behind closed doors. Uh, At some point, they begin bravely speaking out. I think of Alice Paul, for example. Uh, She not only spoke out, but organized people and confronted the opposition to women's rights. MLK was another example of someone bravely speaking out, organizing demonstrations on behalf of the rights of black men and women. In the early 70s, there was a powerful movement of poets and musicians that challenged the decisions of President Nixon regarding the Vietnam War. And what we find when we study the history of false ideas being toppled is that, listen, it never goes smoothly. MLK didn't give one beautiful speech, and everybody was like, oh, that's it. 
Everybody just changed their mind. You know, one Marvin Gaye song didn't bring a halt to the Vietnam War. No. The reformers who spoke out were met by enormous resistance. We have to realize that lies, false lies, are not merely upheld by the human powers that be or the majority. Behind the lies, we find demonic powers, right? Like the Bible talks about in many places. We're not, there's not just angels out there floating in the invisible realms, but there are also uh, fallen angels, uh, demonic powers that are getting, weaving themselves into every part of culture, and they're behind many of these false ideas, as Jesus called Satan the father of lies, right? And he, Satan, does not yield so easily. When he has these false ideas and he has a, a whole society gripped by his deception, delusion, and lies, uh, he, he doesn't let go. Those who oppose false ideas are often ostracized, imprisoned, beaten, killed, slandered fiercely. The government has even attempted to silence them or censor publications. Many examples could be given um, but isn't a great example Jesus himself and his followers? I mean, think about the truth that was proclaimed through Jesus and through the disciples and how people were not okay with that. People, people in society, now some loved it, were being set free and their eyes were being opened, but a lot of people were opposed to it. And that's why they were, there were riots in different places where they went. They were, Stephen was stoned to death. Peter was crucified upside down. History tells us uh, James, I think, was beheaded. I mean, 11 out of the 12 disciples were, were martyred. Jesus was killed. By who? By the powers that be, you know, the, the, by the Pharisees and the Roman uh, government. So when... False ideas are challenged in a society. The reformers who speak out are often viciously attacked by opponents. But here's what happens. They don't let up. They, the reformers, keep speaking out. And they keep demonstrating. And they keep protesting. More opposition comes. People are killed. They keep speaking their tenacity through affliction and social marginalization begins to kind of garner attention, right? It begins to kind of shake up society. It begins to polarize society. Part of society will hate the reformers in this movement. Part of a society supports them. But the movement gains traction. More and more begin to speak out. The character and love of those contending for truth becomes evident to many, and minds are changed. When society witnessed, for example, the enormous suffering of people like MLK and his followers and Alice Paul and their followers, uh, something just resonated, right? More and more. Um, traction, momentum of the movement. When blacks were seen on national television being attacked by dogs or being beaten. I mean, it was like a, that was a moment. There was an epiphany in, 
in the country where the conscience of America was awakened, not, not with everybody, but with many. And it was a powerful moment. Many said in their hearts, I don't want to be on the side of the opposition to this movement for civil rights. Now, I say all this as a reminder that the false ideas held by society that keep people from being reconciled to Christ will not be dismantled without messy opposition. Christianity, at least in its pure form, is under attack in our world, in our country. The Orthodox Christian faith with its views on sin and hell and sexuality, on the exclusivity of Christ as Savior, these things are, they're not popular. Uh, somebody mentioned the, the term counterculture. Uh, yeah, it is very counterculture when you really get into it. Now, I know we, as Christians, we try to, you know, find the common ground and we try to, you know, make it seem like, yeah, it's like we're not, we don't think that much different than you. But if you lay it out, come on. If you lay out how people think in the world and how, what we really believe in Scripture, it's, it's different. It's counterculture. So with deep love and respect for all people, these false ideas need to be challenged. We must realize that speaking the truth is like throwing a rock, how many have done this, at a bee's nest? How many have done that? Great, I'm with you. It's, it's not a good idea. I was pretty far away from it, too. It was like where Carlos is or something, maybe not that far, but I remember like just we're hucking rocks at it, thinking like, if we hit it, what are they going to do? Like, chase us, you know? And I just remember like, boom, I hit the center of the thing, and it just exploded, and they just came. I could have died. I was like eight years old when I did this. And they, I just saw them coming. Me and my friend just like turned and ran and both of us got like multiple bee stings. So stupid. One of my many stupid things. But yeah, I got stung several times. May God give us courage to confront the false ideas that keep people in darkness. And if we're canceled, then fine. And if we lose our job, then fine. If we create tension, fine. If we're unfriended on Facebook, who cares? If slandered, didn't Jesus say you should expect that? Don't be surprised if the world hates you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If we perish, I mean, I don't really feel like being shot or cut in a thousand pieces or something. I don't think anybody's looking to die for the gospel, but if it happens, God will give us grace to deal with it. We're not alone. This is the experience of truth tellers who courageously confronted the false ideas in their generations. And I'll leave you this the writer of Hebrews bears down on the cost that truth tellers have suffered through the centuries. Some were tortured, it says, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. 
They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. I feel like we should read that to people who are looking to become Christians. Oh, really? You want to become a Christian? Okay, well, here it is. This is what you're signing up for. (laughs) And of course, you know, there's balance and there's blessing and God is with us and he's our refuge and strength in times of need. And but historically, Christians have have suffered and have gone through things. And we are the, like Paul said, the scum of the earth. We are strangers and pilgrims in this world. We don't fit in. This world is not our home. And we feel that dissonance from 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 you know, from the world. Um, so there's a cost to it. Anyway, it cut it. The treasure of Jesus is worth that cost, right? I mean, just having in my life, you know, since 1989, having that presence of God in my life, having that joy, having that refuge, having that place to go and just draw close to God and pour out my soul, that no matter what kind of suffering we could face, nothing, nothing compares to the, the treasure of, of having Christ. Not just in this life, of course, but then if we are killed or we die, we're all going to die at some point, that we transition. I don't even like to call it death. You know, it's like the, the moment of our uh, graduation. You know, it's our, our promotion moment where we pass from this broken body into glory and then what we spend eternity in this ever increasing amazing place uh, called the city of God that we read about in Revelation 21 and 22 like come on even if we suffered for a hundred years in in a terrible prison it would be (laughs) worth eternity I mean it's not a trillion years when we get to a trillion years it's like it hasn't even begun, right? What about 100 trillion? It's just happening. And listen, like I've said before, it's not a static place. It's not like, oh, we're up there like chubby angels sitting on clouds. And man, it's like, what are we going to do up here forever? This is like, this is so boring. It's not like that. There's industry in glory. Like there is stuff happening. There is movement. There is architecture. There is art. There is music. Don't get me talking about music. I can't wait to hear what people are going to sound like on the electric guitar after they have been playing it for like five trillion years. What kind of blues solos are going to be played? Right, Joseph? I mean, it's going to be, if we like B.B. King now, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, what's B.B. going to be playing in a trillion years? It's going to be crazy. It's going to blow our minds. It's not just about the music, but, you know, the glory of God is there. I'm just saying that no matter what we go through in this life, what kind of suffering, what kind of cost we pay for being a follower of Jesus. It's nothing, right? That's what scripture says. It's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that's ahead of us. All right, I could keep going. Anybody want to do an eighth sermon? today when we come up. We are going to have a, a, I think we're going to end with a song or two. I know we're going super late today, but who cares? 
Where are you going? What are you, hungry? Deal with it. It's part of the suffering of the kingdom. <laughs> no, actually, we should pray for the kids' workers downstairs. Um, yeah, parents, you might want to float down, start picking up your kids. But let's come up and, yeah, you guys get ready. And we'll do, do a couple songs. Yeah, sorry for keeping everybody so late. It wasn't my fault. It was those six women. I'm just kidding it was spectacular yeah thank you for everybody who poured into that today appreciate it sorry Julie